Hello, and welcome to Abnormal Mapping, episode 101. I'm your host, Dam. With me is my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello, 101 Dalmatians of Podcasts. Oh, here we go. Uh, gonna turn all these games into a really ugly coat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, we have a guest this month. Uh, our friend Nora is here. Hi, I'm Nora Blake and Zoe Ashmars. Welcome to a wonderful episode. Remains to be seen. Has not been recorded yet. <laughs> Uh, I can't guarantee anything, but this, this is a be, free podcast. This will be the wonderful 101st. Oh, no. No, I, I got that the first time. I just like, mm-hmm. oh. yeah. I didn't know. I was not even <laughs> thinking about it. Coming soon. Wonderful, wonderful 101. They they did that Platinum <clears throat> 4 announcement thing, but they haven't announced the other three, whatever the it's fuck coming. they are. Don't uh, worry. It's I, coming. It, the, it's just Bayonetta 3 again. Okay. That's what the three means. It's gonna take up the other three slots. <laughs> yeah, because it's gonna be it's gonna take an extra three years. Oh damn! I hope that's not true. <laughs> I would I, I would like, die by then. I really would like to play Banner three one day. You should play Banner two first. Shut up! <laughs> we all need Bayo. We're here to talk about <laughs> video games. Since the last time we've recorded, Jackson, what have you been playing? I've been playing Final Fantasy VII. I'm not going to talk about it too much because we went in on it on VoIP Life, but I replayed all of Final Fantasy VII in preparation for the remake. Um, not because you have to, just because it's good. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and it's good. It was still good. I loved it. The game's fantastic. You should play Final Fantasy VII if you haven't. The original yeah, we have a, we have a very old episode of Final Fantasy VII. Two, actually, in fact. This is when we used to split yes. up our JRPGs. And uh, we also have uh, the VoIP Life that will be up probably the same day as this. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a Patreon show. You can go to patreon.com slash mapping. Pledge to get that episode. Second half is just <clears> me and Jackson <throat> talking about Final Fantasy VII. And Advent Children, because it's inescapable. And the remake, because it's also <laughs> inescapable. <laughs> I was trying to just talk about Final Fantasy VII, but it, you can't. You just can't. They've done this twice now. <laughs> I do have one question about that. Yes, go ahead. Where's mother? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, well, m- the Mother 3 episode is upcoming. You can get the Mother 2 episode in the archives. And I don't ever intend to play Mother 1. So, you know. Earthbound sometimes beginnings. Think, sometimes I think about playing Earthbound. And then I'm like, mm, is this going to be for me? I don't know. Yes, yes. Earthbound's fantastic. Earthbound is one of the best video games, like, ever. Mm-hmm. It, it requires a little too much grinding, so if that's not to your speed, maybe use an emulator, but it's very good. I've always heard that it was great, but I was never sure if it would be, like, my kind of great. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's very charming, and the RPG part's pretty good, and <clears throat> it, despite all of the efforts of the indie RPG community, there's really nothing quite like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, even... Undertale is Undertale's got no, nothing to do with Earthbound, really, apart from no, very surface no. level similarities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The tones are just so different. Um, Do you play anything else, Jackson, this month, or is that it? I think it might just have been 50 hours of Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, because last time you talked about soccer and you got out of that already, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's been this and, you know, um, uh, time spinner. <laughs> That's been it. Nora, what have you been playing? So I've been playing this uh, game, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> what is, what's that? What's, the, what's that about? What's the premise of that game? Um, it's like the... For, I don't know why they called it that. It's the first game in the series, but um, <laughs> it's about eco-terrorism, I'm pretty uh-huh. sure. Uh, I did start Seven. I am not very far into it yet. 
because um, just after starting it, we got Fire Emblem Three Houses, and me and Autumn have to share the Switch, so uh, there has not been a lot of progress made on any game on the Switch currently. Um, but Seven, it's, it's a good video game. I don't know. Uh, on top of that, I, in the last, I guess, like, three or four days, just sunk a huge amount of time into Dark Souls 3. <clears throat> I feel like all of our friends are playing Dark Souls, though they're all different Dark Souls. <laughs> uh, Molly yes. and I are playing 3, and then Camila's playing 2, I think. Yeah, and our friend Dylan's playing 1, so. Uh, um, Camila's playing Dark Souls 1 first. Like, Camila's just been playing Dark Souls before everyone else. Before before the big trend started that Molly kicked off. Uh, before the Dark Times. Before, before the, the Dark Times, before the Empire. Uh-huh. <laughs> You specifically <laughs> before this podcast, purely by the curtain, me and Nora were yelling about Star Wars and how dumb it is, uh, very loudly in very funny ways that could have been great content. And you said no, no Star Wars on this podcast. Now look at you, Jackson. It's Nora's turn to talk. Please stop interrupting our guest. <laughs> so you said before we were recording that there would be no Star Wars. <laughs> The, the part where you can't do this because me and Nora will gang up is the dynamics just completely changed. I can just I can just close this recording right now. Podcast over. We'll never talk about video game again. Come back next month. We'll talk about Disco Elysium. Get fucked, Time Spinner. <laughs> That's what a lot of people said. <laughs> God. Um, anyway, Dark, Dark Souls. Souls. I've been playing Dark Souls three, which is my favorite of the like Dark Souls chunk of. Soulsborn, uh, Rain Souls games, Souls alike. Uh, I just have started seeing the word Soulsborn a lot, and I hate it a lot. See, um, this implies that Bloodborne matters, and I am very, very doubtful of that fact historically. Uh, uh the worst part is like Soulsborn Kiro. Oh no! If you try to blend Sekiro in with with these. Um, which I wouldn't do, personally. Um, uh, anyway, I tried to like play the game a little differently this time uh, and use a type of weapon that I wasn't familiar with. Turns out I don't like them that much, being uh, pole arms. I did find a cool halberd that I like, because we stand a Lucerne hammer in any game. My tabletop brain is expanding as I like remember how cool Lucerne hammers are always. Um, and then I I played like a whole bunch of Dark Souls and wrote stuff about it on my medium and then I just continued playing Dark Souls. Uh and that's mainly it. What's the pitch on Dark Souls three <clears throat> that makes it different? I feel like I missed that game coming out and everyone talking about it. The thing about three that is different is like As usual, they, like, changed everything. Like, spells work differently again. Like, the the focus bar changes. Like, that's your MP for spells. As well as for, like, every weapon has a special attack um, that uses MP as well. They changed how hollowing works. They changed, like, every time these games come out, it just, like, changes a bunch of stuff. Um, on the mechanical side. And I think that this version of Dark Souls is my favorite of those. And also, the environments are just better. I just like them 
more. I guess they're not better. I just like them more. <laughs> um, and very specifically for me, Dark Souls 2 feels weird to move around in in a way that I can never articulate. Uh, just like moving the character around feels weird and almost over-animated, I guess. Um, in a way that like Demon Souls and Dark Souls were very slick when I was like moving the character around. And I, it's hard to really explain what I mean by that, but Dark Souls 3 and like Code Vein don't have that problem. Uh, on my end, uh, I've played a little bit of Hat in Time, but not enough to feel like I have like a ton to say. Um, I'm very surprised by that game because I remember when it came out, everyone was like, Ukulele sucks. This is the real Mario 64 Banjo-Kazooie, uh, spiritual successor. And I get why you say that because the Hat in Time is good so far, but it is not those games. Hat in Time is Psychonauts, but the platforming isn't garbage. Um, and is in fact sometimes very good. Uh, it is not doing the Mario 64 or Banjo-Kazooie thing. Um, Mm-hmm. Despite the fact, like, you finish the area and then you get the, like, little hourglass and it does do a, like, shine get animation. Um, but, uh, outside of that, like, the way it's constructed is very much more about, like, talking to people and solving discrete, like, story puzzles in a way that I think of Psychonauts more than anything else. Uh, I think the writing's generally very good. Uh, my friend wrote that game, so, you know, uh, caveat, I guess. Bias, bias, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. gotta recuse myself, but I did laugh at it multiple times, which, you know, that's genuine. I'm not lying about that. That's true. I was on the Skype call. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Uh, there's like a whole goofy murder mystery, murder on the, on the Orient Express level where you're just, someone gets killed and you have to gather information and try to figure out who the killer is. Like it's Paper Mario. Um, it's good. Every game should have a random detective level. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it should. Um, the solution is also very, actually, I'm, you basically pick like who you want to pin the murder on at the end. And I picked one person, uh, and it was very goofy. It was very just extremely, uh, the Paper Mario thing. But there are other answers that I, I wonder if they would play out differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good. Uh, I hope to finish it because coming down the pike in just a, like less than a month now is fucking Animal Crossing. It's true. It, it's barely it's barely a month away um how's the platforming in that one non-existent <laughs> um the direct was just the other day uh watched that and immediately was filled with the burning desire to play animal crossing so thankfully they're gonna give me what i want in just a few weeks and by the time we record again it'll be out and that's all i'll be doing so um, gotta get Disco Elysium done before then, because otherwise it's <laughs> never gonna get played. <laughs> yeah, you need to get that finished by the 20th. <laughs> yeah, um, um, I like Animal Crossing a lot. The new game extremely seems like they just expanded a lot of the cool things in New Leaf to be another one of those. There's more ability to micromanage your town, but, like, all of the gimmick about island life and your camping and your crafting, the Direct basically all but admits that's all going to go away within, like, the first five hours, which is very funny to me. Um, I assume this is just to get people in the door who, A, either played uh, Pocket Camp or, B, grew up on Minecraft and all the other, like, survival crafting games. Because Animal Crossing is not that, and it's not going to be that. Um, and that's fine. I wouldn't is, want it to be. Is New Leaf... <clears throat> Is New Leaf the DS one? The 3DS one. Oh, okay. I played the DS one as a kid. Wild World. Yeah, Wild, Wild World was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is this is only the fifth Animal Crossing game, like mainline. 
Uh, they they don't make them very often. It's been seven years. Yeah, I, I went back and watched just some like reviews of old Animal Crossing games just to see the progression of takes along the time. And from what I can tell, the only thing that impacts an Animal Crossing game's reception is whether it's been a year since the last one or five. <laughs> yeah, I literally didn't play City Folk because it had been too recently since uh, yes. Wild World. That's basically what everyone says. This is just a DS game again. Uh, but that complaint never comes up for any of the other Animal Crossing games because it's been enough time that everyone's like, oh, thank God, Animal Crossing. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's what I'll be doing. If you follow me on main on Twitter, uh, em underscore being, I'm sure all I'll be doing is posting about my town. So look forward to that. It, you know, it's probably better than me constantly asking people to send emails to the podcast, which is what I use my Twitter account for these days. Uh, I've been looking. Oh, what if I? What if I get Animal Crossing? I've got that Nintendo voucher. What if I get Animal? Crossing? I would love I if you got Animal Crossing. I don't think you would stick with it at all. But yeah, you know, I just don't. Th- I mean, like partially because I tend to play games and then move on um much more like i'm bad at keeping a uh, recurring schedule um but also because my what <laughs> as the person who has podcasted with you monthly for 101 months i can agree you are bad at keeping a regular schedule and yeah not missed a month so no 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 herculean achievement this podcast for me um but also, my sleep schedule is fucked, so I'll just load up Animal Crossing and everything will be closed. <laughs> oh no, Nook's open twenty four hours now. They oh, said thank that in the Christ. direct. When I played New Leaf uh, for yes. like a few days, I would like load it up in bed and be like, "What do I do?" Yeah, <laughs> what do uh, I do? You, no so you set the timer on your DS to a different time zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just have to set myself to America, I guess. Uh, but no, the direct specifically said. Both the two major facilities are 24 hours because they know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Because they know the main audience of Animal Crossing is people with intense anxiety up at 3 a.m. needing to chill out. <laughs> I do. I do. Maybe I will try. I mean, probably not because I, uh, you know, my, I'm not ordering new Joy-Cons and I can only, so I can only play it on the TV. Oh, yeah. You have a pro controller, right? Yeah, yeah. I can play on the TV. I just can't play in bed. Oh, no. You could you could connect your pro controller and then just prop the tablet up in bed. I should get one of the, the thing that ZC has, which is like the command uh, strip holder that like... So you, you put the strip to the wall. It's like a little arm. You put the switch in it. It hovers over you while you're in bed. And oh, that sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck life am I leading that I don't have one of those? Uh, it sounds amazing. I will ask them what brand they got because it sounds like the mo- like every time they tell me about it, it's just like the most life of luxury shit. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, all right. So yeah, those are the video games. We're gonna take a short break and we're gonna be back with our game club, which is Time Spinner. Our game club this month is Time Spinner, which is a Metroidvania-style game uh, developed by Lunar Ray Games. It came out in September of 2018. 
um, after a very long Kickstarter development process. Well, you know, I don't know, four years is about right for Kickstarter these days, I feel like. Uh, but it feels like this game was coming out forever. Um, the initial we... goal was like end of 2015. It was yeah, just, but that's every yeah. Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just no one had done this before because it was yeah. the early days of Kickstarter and whoops. Yeah. Um, and Nora asked us to play this game, so I'm going to let Nora uh, say why you wanted us to play this game and maybe set up what it's about a little bit. I played this for the first time last fall, and I it was actually like... Oh, I heard about it from Autumn, who heard about it on a recommendation from some comics podcast, I think. Not a lot of people are talking about this game. Um... But it is just a Metroidvania, like, sort of, that kind of game. But it involves time travel, and the aesthetic is inspired by the sprite art of Chrono Trigger. Um, and that was enough to get me in the door and check it out. And it turns out I really liked it? Um, I liked the game that it wanted to be a lot more than the game that it was. But it was just, uh, I had a fun time. I played it in like, I think my 100% save file is like 9 hours, 58 minutes, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's this, like, it's a fun time travel story about, uh, I don't know how to pronounce any of the character names, but the main character... Uh, is going through time looking at, like, the lifespan of an empire and, like, the rise of an empire and how it becomes this, like, force on other cultures with the, like, privileged perspective of having the ability to time travel between two different points and, like, see the effects of things over uh, long periods of time. Uh, the, unfortunately, the, um, the conclusions that this game tends to draw are single people are responsible mainly for things like fascism, uh, and if you punch them, they won't do fascism as bad. Um, which is true, but not systemically. Yeah. You don't get to just go up and punch the queen, but just a little bit. And then she's like, oh, now I will be a benevolent empress instead of, um, not that. Uh, so, uh, a lot of the things that I feel about this game are, like, it was kind of well-intentioned, but very shallow. Um, that applies to some other stuff I'm sure we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, the main plot, like, in short, to be, like, briefly summarize, is your main character is a, uh, woman named Lunace. And she's the time messenger, and she's from a clan of people who are using the time travel to keep on the run from the Lakaim Empire, who they are all, like, trying to avoid because they want the time travel technology. And they keep using time tra travel technology to, like, move out of the path of this empire by sending the time messengers. The thing is, when you use the time, the time spinner the time messenger has, they are deleted from the timeline. So they can change things, but they can't come back and, like, be with their people after they save them. Um, you do this right as the empire shows up and the time spinner breaks and you are thrown way further back in time than anyone else thought was possible. And at a point where... The Empire is just starting 
like its campaign of conquest against a, P, a, a planet that you land on. Uh, but maybe that planet also has done a conquest. Who can say who is bad? Both sides are equally bad sometimes. <laughs> Horseshoe theory is real. Um, and you go through the present uh, and the past, these two timelines to you know, interfere with the machinations of empire, stop the other evil empire, I guess. Um, and try to get, get home, save your people. Cause you're like, if I, if, this, if I'm this far back, I could just get rid of the Lakai empire and they won't invade in the first place. We won't even have to exist. And as you do that, you find out messing with time is more difficult than that. Including by the time you finally decide who you're going to actually stop in terms of what part of history you're going to go back and change, you break time and have to go through this bit final boss area that's like in basically like the end of time from Chrono Trigger where you have to fight the like a god of time who's very mad that you keep messing with stuff uh even though it makes them more powerful every time you do it and then you save the world and ascend to be the goddess of time everyone is saved the end hooray um which, you know, uh, Nora talked about all this stuff uh, succinctly in terms of the problems with some of its tone. Uh, you get a lot of this through, like, letters written between characters that you don't otherwise encounter, uh, giving you backstory and texture. But they're always like, oh, I wish there wasn't a war. Then we could actually be in love. But alas, there's a war. Uh, it's basically <laughs> every single one of these. <laughs> what, father, what if you simply did not have a war? And then the next letter is like stained with blood because <laughs> storytelling. Maybe the mean meanest thing uh, you could possibly say. And you know, I I like the game. I think the game's pretty good. Um, so I say this knowing that. But the thesis of the game does seem to be that the only thing strong enough to bridge the gap of imperialism and bring us all together is talking about how poly we are. Um, <laughs> As expressed in a scene where, like, the, you get to know the people, you get to know these quests of people, and they, they'll just like drop, you know, you get four four quests into one of the people's quest lines. Yes, yeah, like, so by the way, specifically for the setup here, yes, in the present area that you land in, you find a bunch of soldiers that have been basically like stranded uh, in the middle of enemy territory. They're holed up in like a ruined church, and the four of them are all gonna give you quests to complete. As you yes. are like, I'm gonna help you build a community because the people you work for just left you here to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you build up their quests, and eventually, like, like they start being little stories, but all the stories are, like, basically pointing towards, like, reveals around what everyone's sexuality or identity is. Well, and someone definitely gives you the Mass Effect Andromeda, thank yeah. you for turning in this quest, by the way, I'm trans. Yes, that happens, mm -hmm. and then it all culminates in a scene where everyone sits around the fire and, like, just throws off... Uh, here's my identities. Here's my identities. Are you Polly? I'm bi. Oh, we're, you know, like, just... It's very strange, and, like, it has nothing to do with the game. It just throws it all in, in this very cynical-feeling way of just, like, look, here... It just doesn't feel real, right? That's not how people talk about who they are. Mm -hmm. um, and it the, feels thing, like the, the thing about it is I wouldn't declare it cynicism, per se. It is just... It feels very much like... Some people wanted to be well-meaning and inclusive yes. because that's what video games are now and did not know how to do that other than to just, like, check the boxes in a way that is embarrassing. It is mortifying, this cutscene. Yeah, it, it was skin... Cr cause I just, so I just watched this an hour ago. <laughs> it I makes me 
wonder whether this was written closer to the 2015 or 2018 end of the uh, like cycle of development here. Yes. Games culture in a place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it extremely feels really... like 2017 to me, actually, specifically. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I hate that we've been here in so, like, so intensely that we can have that specificity about it. <laughs> yes. Um, because, yeah, it is well-meaning, obviously, and uh, there's a lot mm. of like good writing in the game, but the the fact that I I a you know queer non-binary person um, should feel good that everyone in the game is talking about their identities just bold like reading off a list uh, it's just it's just a bit of a bummer and um, you know it's a wider problem than this one game in terms of the way the culture is at at the moment. It also um, coming at the end of like a giant optional side quest chain. Like yes. your reward for all of this is some currency that mostly doesn't matter, and everyone telling you their personal marginalities is ridiculous. You could just integrate that in the game. There's a really good side quest that is just take this recuperating soldier who's like can't fight anymore to the waterfall so he can have a date with his boyfriend. Yes, and so you just kind of okay. escort him, and that one's good. That one's just like hey. a story. Yeah. The actual reward you get for the final quest with the campfire scene is a pair of earrings that increase your orb XP. Oh, right. I <laughs> forgot about that. Right. <laughs> the, she, after, after the thing, is like, hey, I want to date you. And then it fades to black. And then you're like next to her bed and you've got the orb XP earrings. <laughs> <laughs> Video games. <laughs> you wake up on the floor in her room. <laughs> yeah. It's very ridiculous, uh, <laughs> but like that that scene is what it is. Uh, it's it's embarrassing in a very like obvious mm-hmm. way, but it's not central to the uh, plot about the empire. Um, ah, well, I, apart from the one the one uh, lady who is the uh, uh, you know the one who's like I really believe in this. <laughs> and, uh, her plot line is more thematically connected to the main story, and is a bit. What's going on here? She's, She's just like, a good soldier. She believes in the, the the plight of her people until you show her that her people also did a genocide, but 600 years ago that nobody remembers. You, you give her the war crimes evidence, and then she's like, damn, war crimes are real. I renounce my country. By the way, you have to go murder the people who haven't renounced my country now. This is what I've learned. <laughs> in the next like, side quest, you're killing another one who is basically just her before she saw the war crimes evidence. She's like, you have to go fight this this soldier guy. He was my best soldier guy. He just... When we were fighting, we were fighting for ideals, but he just really liked killing, and he was really good at killing and killed a lot. And yeah, that's he no really good. likes doing, like, Vietnam War crimes with his light magic. <laughs> that's just yeah. his problem. You have to stop him, please. And he please. looks like a twink pope, and you have to go punch him <laughs> with your orbs. Yeah. And then you just, because it's the end of the game, you equip your orbs and you kill him in three hits. Or not three hits, but you kill him in a very quick amount of time. And you just jam on that attack button and destroy him. Uh, and then you the get his easy. sick war crime orbs for yourself. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and they're pretty thing. damn good. you got to upgrade your sick war crimes orbs to do, to do better war crimes. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, but it, it's... It's weird. So, like, this is the way the game ends up going, but I think that the way it starts, like, it puts a really good foot forward with how it, like, incorporates this stuff. Um, the opening with uh, your culture and the time spinner conceit is good. Um, the way it, like, sets up the Empire as just, like, no, murdering the 
the uh, this like imperial force is actually a good thing um like that stuff all works well but then the part in the back half where it all collapses into and then we can all be nice to each other and fix it all uh is definitely just a bit weird part of this is because like i will talk when we talk more mechanically like scope is definitely like a constraint here in this game um it is relatively small in a lot of aspects. And I was playing through this, like, I was like a good, nearly towards the end of the game and I was talking to Jackson on Skyball's playing. And I was like, I think there, there's gotta be at least like another area here, not just like mechanically, but because like, I assume this plot needed like the third act reveal that turns it all on its head because yes. everything here was like very obvious. And no, that's just the nope. story that's being told, unfortunately. Um, because. Uh, the part where you go, you're like, I'm going to tear down this empire. And the reveal is that empire is responding to another empire that did the same thing to them is, uh, myopic, uh, like in just like the very normal, like neoliberal brained way people think about empire. Right. (laughs) But also maybe the real reason that they're so thirsty for conquest is because of the bleakness Maybe they they all have depression. (laughs) Yes, maybe they're just sad because of their they grew up. They like had a society that valued people with magic, and um, like there was a there was an energy in the atmosphere of their home world that like encouraged magic. And then they came to this magicless planet, and they had they suffer from the bleakness because they they can't live like they used to. And oh, that's why... because you be on that phone. Oh. Oh, apathy syndrome. <laughs> and then that's why they long to spread their hands through the stars and grab uh, cultures and like like seize control of things is because they just they just want to feel something again. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> There's also demons influencing people. Yeah, I felt like that should have been a bigger plot point than it was. <laughs> <laughs> there's they're in both time periods there's the two in the past and then there's the scientist guy who's, yeah by the way speaking of things that should have been bigger plot points there's a lot of story stuff that only exists in optional like text logs you can pick up which means yeah. that the characters can never react to it like the fact that um all the people on the main character's homeworld are turned into bioweapons yeah like that's just not commented on the fact that like they're specifically from her planet from her culture they turn them into like xenomorph aliens and because that's an optional piece of lore you can find the main character doesn't get to react to it at all yep yeah uh the scientist guy also showing up like he's uh, the main character from axiom verge the 80% 80% of this game to be like, ah, oh, but actually we're fighting a demon scourge. You're like, what demon scourge? And he's like, too bad you murdered me. Please fight the demon scourge in my stead. And I'm like, what demon scourge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, I had been like mostly keeping up with the, uh, I got most of the logs. So I was like following along, but yeah, it was definitely um, structurally strange. And also like, so the, the big reveal, right? That uh, the, the empire, in uh in your period was the oppressed people in the past right is dumb but i assumed that this was leading to a like bigger reveal the the empire like when you look at it that way right so the i forget the proper nouns sorry but the first so the the black lime empire is like the 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 one that's the magicless planet right yes what is the name of the original one it is the it begins with a v or the let 
Villette. Yes. Okay. So Villette is the original plan, and everyone comes from Villette, and then they send some people to uh, the the Black Lime, and they get the bleakness, and then they're at war. Mm-hmm. Um, but the crucial thing is that situation is, uh, you know, that's all one people really. Like they're not they're not different planets. It's not it's it's not technically like a colonization situation. It's much more of a Gundam situation where they shipped off half the population to a different place and then were at war with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I assume that was leading to a place of like, you could view this entire plot of the game as like an internal conflict, whereas whoever wins this is also going to be doing colonialism because they've gone across the galaxy, right? They've gone and settled in a, loads of worlds that we never see. It is implied that they have like a massive fleet and a massive empire across the stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to anyone else would just look at this conflict in that sense. And I was waiting for the game to like get to that kind of reveal on how it uh, approached. Because I think framing it that way is a better way than just the good people are sometimes the bad people and the bad people are sometimes the good people because of the cycles of revenge. Uh, and I was like looking at the other way, but it doesn't never really gets past that. Before love- you... Uh, before you go back, like, and get the true end and ascend to being the god of time or whatever, you get a option of, do you just want to remain with the soldiers in the church or do you want to ascend to the throne and make your empire benign, which is what I picked. And you extremely get cutscenes of your character, like, reorganizing the military to not be evil anymore as you stretch your influence even further across the stars. Uh, and it's just so unaware of what it's doing in that way. Like, you yes. just become the evil person. Also, at a crucial point of the story that, like, changes, or, like, the progression that changes the future map is when, in the past, you fight the queen who, tur- who like, primarily turns Lachium into the empire that it comes to be, uh, and you fight her, and you, you just beat her up, and she, like, concedes to you, and she's like, now I know that seeking revenge is bad and wrong, and then the main character, who still from this from the beginning of the game to the end of the game is motivated motivated by seeking revenge herself, says, "You're right. Revenge is bad. Anyway, I'm gonna go kill the people who killed my clan." Yes. And when you like get to the boss fight against your dad, who is the emperor, by the way, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, uh, Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars. Uh, I, I actually think the like the flashback uh, like scenes from your mum. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like go into that relationship and how that happened are pretty good, uh, like that stuff's done well. I yeah. like those a lot. Yeah. Uh, the game, it, it's weird, right? Because the game is earnest about no, we must not do revenge, and we must always uh, think of the best the way to make the world better. But when you murder your dad, the game is also like, yeah, fucking murder that guy, get him, he sucks so bad. <laughs> like, so it, it is both of those things at once. It's not. It doesn't do the thing where it's like, oh no, maybe you have become your dad by murdering him. It just doesn't really acknowledge that discrepancy and instead veers off into the, what if you become the god of time instead? Don't worry about it. Uh, but, but before you become a god of time, do you kill your dad when he was young or do you kill like the person who started this a thousand years ago? I killed my dad because it was more fun. <laughs> oh, I killed the person from a thousand years ago. It's literally the same yeah. boss fight. Actually, no, it's, I, no, yeah. I killed the person from a thousand years ago because I did a... I, I did the first ending without realizing I could become the God of Time, because you do it in a different room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have to gather all the Time Spinner pieces. Yes, I, I was missing Yes, I got, I got the like first bad end before I had gathered the pieces, and then yes. went back and did all that. Yes. I was extremely looking up walkthroughs 
desperately trying to actually find information about the game, which is very hard to come by, and just trying to figure out, like, okay, how many endings can I get on one save file? The answer is three of the four, but it's yeah. a very weird situation. But um, I definitely was, like, going in and trying to make sure I could actually, like, do all of the stuff that I wanted. And, um, yeah, the endings are either become the queen or you f- fuck off back to the past and live out your life there with your friends and it's like either way it feels like that wouldn't do much but also the game thinks that like uh individuals control the flow of history far more than they actually do so who can say what what the game thinks would actually happen if you picked one or the other yeah Mm -hmm. um it's definitely strange, especially as like I think the time spinner can see at the start is really good and really well, uh, like realized of this idea of a culture defined by this one special technology it has, which can't let it fight against anything, but does let it like w- resist the like changes by going back in time to prevent them happening. So they have this, uh, you know, I think I think that the like culture that they make there is is good. It doesn't feel like you know it is definitely gesturing at. Uh, real oppressed people today but doesn't just feel like we've you know made the space whatever right like it feels like mm-hmm. a good uh, a good sci-fi conceit that i think is treated well uh and so the the game like being like she cares about the revenge with uh, the emperor but i feel like she doesn't end up having much of a connection to like that culture because you sp- you just see it like twice at the beginning of the game of you know once at the beginning of the game and then you go back and you chill out with these the the people in the past and then it's like should you stay with your real friends and i feel like i just wanted more of like a sense of like what does fixing the world mean in this uh universe when it, like it's it's through the lens of empire and like getting rid of the empire but that's not like protecting the like her history and culture that she is literally from birth been raised to believe that is her like task as a time spinner is to ensure that still exists within time mm-hmm. um, so i would have liked to see more done with that because i think that was like the most interesting part of the premise but it mostly got dropped for the more like is empire uh good and can we solve it with murder thing what if yeah. we just reformed it oh there we go <laughs> But yeah, it, the story is what it is, right? It's fine. Um, yeah. There's a lot of... I've played a lot of games that have bad centrist stories. This is better than a lot of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will... I, I, go, go ahead, Nora. Oh, I just want the conceit of this game as an 800-page novel is what I actually want. Yeah, that's fair. For me, like, playing this, knowing, like, one, people compare it to Chrono Trigger all the time, uh... And that's a game with, like, a lot of time travel in it. And also, like, it made me think of Rating Historia, which is another big RPG with a time time travel. I was surprised at how there's only two areas. There isn't a lot of, like, do this one thing in one time and it changes in the other in the way that I would have thought there was. There's some, but, like, outside of burning some vines to make sure you can get some chests, it's, like, one big thing that changes in between, the, that you can change between the two. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a surprising, like, lack of like the falling through the conceit which i guess kind of brings us to like mechanically this game yes. because the 
the limitations placed on it by being a very small indie game that like I got 97% complete. I played this game for less than seven hours. It was like six forty something when I was finished. Um, it's small. It's, you know, it's not Sing of the Night. So it's definitely not Chrono Trigger or <laughs> Radiant Astoria, which are long games. There's also like, um, some of the things you could just miss. Like if you just happen to not do things in a certain order, like there's a period where the, atmosphere in the future becomes poisoned then you can't go outside because you're you're taking damage that's why there's a gas mask item in the game but if you don't happen to like go back to the future within between the two triggers that start and end that world state like i didn't in this playthrough then like, oh okay good because i got that gas mask i was like when did where's there's where's the poison i didn't even see the poison i know <laughs> yeah, I, I also like, didn't see the poison <laughs> you could just miss it. You could just completely not experience that that alteration. That's wild. Yeah. There's also like uh, we there's because you mentioned like the scope of things. There's like little nuggets of 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 writing that are like gesture to. Bigger things like the way that you talk to the librarian and how she's like, oh, let me, please, I, I would love to educate you about our great empire. Um, oh, you're not, you're not like a, a citizen? Where's your sponsor? Uh, like, you, you can't, like, you're not really one of us. You can't, like, be in here without, like, a sponsor to, like, guide you here. And it's just, like, it just doesn't come up again it doesn't expand on any of that at all and also when you after you've defeated the queen um her statue in the present gets replaced with this uh very ominous uh eternal mother statue because uh your character's presence in the timeline has created this mythology of of this like deific figure which ends up being the the what you look like when you like ascend to the time goddess form yeah but there's no like reckoning with that at all or like i would love to know what the belief systems of the people who worship the eternal mother are yeah yeah i think the game could like so it's in a weird space right because it's a short game and it's mechanically like a metroidvania obviously uh that can't really do many in-depth story scenes it relies on logs a lot um but it also like in terms of word count it's got way more than a simply the night or you know a lot of the games it's pulling from um and i think that that is interesting and that it could have gone either way it could have gone like if they had had more time and money and ability like to expand the story that could have been good but i think it could have also worked just like paired back and letting the <clears throat> environment and the symbols be symbols in an environment in a way that like is true of a lot of older games of this style where it's just evocative and you put the pieces together but the problem is they do have a lot of words they just don't always draw the dots in the way that you would prefer them to uh, so it's in this weird middle spot just because of its uh, of its scope i feel like and if you want to talk about pairing things back um how many orbs how many orbs do you need in this game um about you definitely so okay let's get to the mechanics of the game <laughs> so you don't attack with weapons you attack with uh orbs it's not like you're like holding a sword you have you have two orb slots and the orb slots are like 
they are basically weapons in these games and one of them will make a sword appear one of them will make a axe appear and then they get kind of more creative like you know just ridiculous huge dark fists sometimes light beams or energy beams um they're very versatile weapon design because they haven't had to like it's smart because they don't have to make like individual sprite animations uh for lunai uh, or uh, they just the orbs animate individually um so that's like a very like, i can see why they made the decision very smart <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that allows them to have an incredible amount of weapon variety uh, but the problem is the weapons one there's too many of them and the game's really short um two they all level up uh and so the the systems encourage you to like focus on certain weapons and put your like like because you they level up through use so you're like encouraged to not really experiment even though there's a type system that would encourage you to switch in different areas when different weaknesses are around uh and i think that all of that could be streamlined and it feels like it's in there so that there's something to do beyond the seven hour video game Um, the thing though that's funny about that is like Every orb levels up independently. So in theory, your old orbs you've been using a long time are inherently better than the ones you get later in the game. But that's also just not true. Yes, that's just yeah. not true. Because <laughs> towards the end of the game, you get the, like, you can throw Castlevania Cross's eye right. orb that is just sick as hell. Or the Radiant War Crimes orb that just does a huge area of effect damage to everyone. Um and those are just inherently better orbs than do a little lightning, do a fireball. <laughs> also, the lightning one drains your MP when you use it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's cool. I like all of the different ones. I wish that there were less orbs and they were more, like, important mm-hmm. or something. Like, having the ability to use the dad orbs is cool and like thematic right like when when you ascend to the throne you inherit your dad's weapons yeah that's that's cool but and also like that boss fight is fun because he is using all of the same orbs that you are he's swapping between them and yeah. he's just using bigger boss fight versions of all the attacks that you can do um that's always fun that's like one of my favorite boss fights ever is still the final boss of infamous for that reason i know i know i know but just i always love when like a a boss will like use your own shit against you but better it's just Uh, fun that's uh yeah that is everyone's favorite classic classic Mm -hmm. boss fight move it's like in transistor where you get to the final boss and he says my turn editor's note here uh you might notice that uh i drop out for a bit and Jackson says a bunch of stuff, and then I come back and say a lot of the same stuff. That is because, at this moment, I am taking a call, uh, which we did quietly off of the mic, but uh, Jackson and Nora carried on uh, like real troopers, and then when I came back, I reiterated all their points without catching up with them, because we try to do this all in one take. So, if it's a little weird when I just say all the things Jackson and Nora have already said, that is why. Thanks. And so, that, but that really like brings to the other side of it, which is that weapons are only as good as the like enemies you have to use them against. And the game does have a lot of enemies, but it doesn't have a lot of areas, and definitely doesn't have a lot of bosses. Like, yeah. like you know, we were done with the game in six hours to nine hours, depending on how, uh, depending on just how much we wanted to hundred percent it. Um, and with the level ups, with the like type exploitation, 
the second half of the game, I could basically stand in place and destroy anyone with no problem. Like, mm-hmm. this game was so easy and the, the bosses weren't giving me any challenges. We haven't even mentioned the fact that you can pause time at any time and deal damage to get your time rewinding potion back, uh, which does run out. But it doesn't yeah. really when you can hit people. So every boss is just trivial as you realize you just pause. Look, I, there's never a boss that you can't pause the, when the attack comes uh, that way. The only exceptions to this are the uh, broken time area enemies don't stop when you stop time like at the final area of the game like the final oh, okay. boss doesn't stop when you stop time so it's basically a, like they just take that feature away from you because if why would you ever stop time if stopping time didn't actually stop the enemies like there's yeah. no secondary use for it that is like like anything worth doing um so they might as well have just taken that ability away from you at the end of the game which sucks but and it, it just it just makes the bosses very easy. And I think it's a very cool mechanic. Like, the times that you have to freeze time in order to freeze an enemy in place to use them as a platform, those are all really cool. Um, I <clears> think <throat> that's when, like, the exploration stuff is at its best and, like, the early to mid-game parts where you're figuring that kind of stuff out and it like it, it's hitting all the correct Metrovania beats. Um, it just feels incredible. Uh, but definitely, once you get to the end, you can pause time whenever anyone's about to hit you. You can destroy everyone very quickly uh it is not a problem like i went to the super secret area that's meant to be like all the hard enemies and just took every, like wasn't a yeah problem. like yeah not yeah, even slightly a problem uh and then there like the only interesting thing about the time stopping thing in the end game is that there are now at the end of the game and like even okay there are enemies that exist in the room that like you're familiar which we you know there's a familiar element where, like, you have this little dragon who follows you around, he'll attack stuff. Uh, from what I read online, if you let it get leveled up really high, then uh, it can, like, one-shot most enemies. <laughs> um, but your familiar will, like, sense it and try to attack it, but you can't interact with it at all until you stop time. And then once you've stopped time, then it becomes, like, a thing that you can access in the sense of, like, putting on the one ring and being able to see ring rates, like, that kind of thing. Um but even that, like, the only interesting thing they do with that is that, like, right at the end of the game, and I think maybe only after you've beaten it, like, only after you've done one of the, the smaller endings, I think some of those time shadows start showing up in the normal map because you're you're breaking time so much, but it's so little and, at, and it's so late that it's, like hardly worth mentioning it's really cool and it gestures at something really cool but it's not like actually doing anything with that yeah it just the scale is what it is and i think it like is punching above its weight like we have these problems mm-hmm. because it is just like it's coming at symphony of the night and that's like the one of the best video games ever made like ever so uh the fact that it is like that our complaints are what they are and not this mm-hmm. sucks is like you know i feel like this episode's been very negative but also that's just how we are with most things here we like go into their issues and the the like uh, contradictions in them and the game's mostly good it's fun i enjoyed exploring i you know i'd sat down to play it and then i was done like it moves yeah. well it has a very good pace and even though the story is a bit frustrating in the end it like the premise is really cool um like, so i like yeah i've been i've been bringing a lot of complaints to the table but like i recommended y'all talk about this game because I liked it a lot and I think very fondly of it. Um, 
despite all of those shortcomings. Yeah, I would I would love to see it like expanded. Um, yeah, into a game of a bigger scale, like in its potential sequel. But I assume that's just not on the cards because unfortunately, nobody bought it. Yep. Uh, there, the Wikipedia article is the most bare bones a Wikipedia article can be. There is no plot summary or anything in there. It's just a chronicle of the Kickstarter's development. Um, there is one uh, time spinner fanfic on AO3, and I fucking wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it did not make a very big splash, which is unfortunate, but that's how these things kind of go sometimes. Video games. Video games. It was good. It was nice to see, like, this game is just, like, people have said, this game's just simply the night, but it was nice to see one of these, this, like, kind of scale of indie Metroidvania be on the Vania side, uh-huh. because yeah. usually they're just Metroid games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was cool, because I, you know, I haven't played uh, any of the GBA Egovanias, but I love Simply the Night, and I get the... Uh, defeat. I need to. I need to spend some time going through the GBA games, enjoying myself. Oh, there's yeah. so many. Hell there's yeah. so many waiting for me. Mm-hmm. And I know um, I like all of them to varying degrees. And also, like the game is uh, a thing that I saw a lot in like the Discord with people talking about this game is that it was very easy, and that was like a little bit refreshing to just like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. I can just like play the game and like get through it just fine i'm not like us i'm not a i'm not don't tell anybody but i'm not a pro gamer i don't think we're recording right now but i'm not a pro gamer uh i'm not like super good at video games and there are a lot of them that i would love to like get more into that i just like fall off because i hit a wall like i like dark souls a lot and i do not finish most of them yeah yeah (laughs) that's just an example but you know Mm -hmm. i understand yeah, it was just it was a nice, cute little thing that like I had a good time sitting there playing it on the Switch while Autumn was playing uh, Symphony of the Night across the room, and we were just like <laughs> occasionally looking up at each other, and like it was nice. It was a nice little couple game. So I think the thing that's worth impressing here, because I feel like when we talk about the story and stuff, it's been relatively negative. Is I think the video game part of this is really good. Um, which is not, uh, not at all positive. It's actually kind of a disappointment because, because it's so short, because I'm like, oh, clearly there's a third time period. We'll get to at the end and there really isn't, uh, because the, the orbs are like, there's, there's so many and they're interesting because you get cool abilities. Like you can just do a cool sprint. Uh, and I wish the game just let, gave you that earlier and made bosses and enemies out of the ability to sprint through stuff. Um, I just found myself wishing that there was more game and like also worth considering like the problem with video games is that difficulty is very subjective and we've played a lot of video games that we're mapping here. 101. In fact, that's all the video games we've ever played. 101 of them. You can listen to every episode. Um, And uh, so I think we're like relatively decent at video games and my major problem with this game is that it's really, really easy. Like, depressingly easy. There's a harder difficulty that you don't unlock until you beat the game the first time, which, what is the point of having a harder difficulty then? Um, Because I'm not going to play it twice. Uh, I'll just be even better at it by the time I go through it the second time. (laughs) Um, 
And so I found myself like at the beginning, there's a couple places that are tricky. You can get in some troublesome bosses if you're stingy with your items. It gives you a lot of health items though. So I felt no desire to do, to be particularly, uh, you know, reticent to use them when necessary. But you also get the ability to just stop time. Like every boss, you can just avoid every single one of their attacks if you're like good at remembering that to do that thing. Um, like literally every boss has an attack where they do an animation, they rush you or shoot a giant beam that you can stop time and just climb out of the way of and then turn time back on um without fail all the way through the game uh so if you're good at already like castlevania style pattern recognition the game is just kind of a breeze and so i got through it i beat the final secret boss and i'm like okay i'm gonna go to that bonus area now because the game warns you like it's gonna be super fucking hard but it'll give you materials to beat the final boss and i was like i don't need to do that again i already beat the final boss it was easy (laughs) um but i did go through the secret area and it's just like an enemy rush and then like an optional boss that isn't that different than the other bosses uh, and so I just ended up going through that thing like six times and it gets a little harder every time, but not exceptionally so. Uh, but you level up a lot doing that. So by the end of the game, I was just going through that arena like over and over again. It took me like three minutes every time. Um, especially since one of the optional super bosses at the end is like this character that turns into like a giant six armed like boss monster, uh, called Ifrit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I was like, oh, it's it's a big giant guy. What if I got right underneath him? And if you do that, he can't hit you and he doesn't move <laughs> and you can hit him just fine. So immediately discovered that that like the supposedly hardest boss in the game, you could just crouch under and destroy in minutes yeah, <laughs> without because, ever doing anything. Because the war crimes orbs are a big explosion rather than a thing that shoots out in front of you like a sword. Yes. <laughs> To be fair, this is uh, very accurate to playing PS One like SNES games. Like, <laughs> yes, the enemy you just get under and wail on. Yep, no, the, yeah, did yeah. a good job at recreating this era of game. Yeah, no. So it, it leads me to this weird thing where, like, I think the game is really good, but because of that, I'm mad that there, it did not ask more of me, or there was more in it. Um, mm. Which is which is a shame for one of these because ideally you want to find the the perfect middle zone between it was short and sweet i got everything i wanted or this is too or like you know and on either side there is this game which is too short uh not sweet enough or there is this one's too hard and too long geez please let us stop um and i know that's a hard ground and it's constrained by budget and the realities of production and you know like this was a vita game like there's a lot of things here (laughs) that are uh that can be problems Um, it was a vita game god yeah um the yeah uh but the takeaway from that is like this is a really mechanically interesting game that i'd really like to see like a bigger version of uh like mechanically uh no matter what the story is we just made another one of these where i could run around and fight things and also like lunace has is cool she dashes around once you get the like dash all the time like alucard with his cape flowing behind him and you just have orbs circling you the entire time it's a cool look it's a very cool game in terms of like visuals uh and i'm sad that the it didn't it didn't last long enough for me to like you know relish in it as much as i would have liked yeah. yeah and then at also at the end you get the ability to equip three orbs instead of two yes. <laughs> which is so broken i did it with <laughs> it, the big dark fist that the emperor gives you and mm-hmm. holy shit <laughs> I, I had it with the three radiant things and it's yeah. just it's just impossible to lose at that point <laughs> you're doing so much damage um even though like i'd pumped all of my little like 
skip a weapon up five level items into the uh, eyes thinking the eyes were going to be the thing I got. And then I got the radiance. I'm like, Oh, this is way better than the eyes. Uh, instantly it did more damage per hit than the eyes did hitting four times. Like, I'm like, Oh, why would I ever just use this one? Yeah. At the start of the game, when I got, I was using the sword and then it gives you the ax, which is does more damage, but it's slower. And it gives you the impression that, all of the weapons going forward are going to be balanced on that kind of scale, though they will all be viable and have different strengths and weaknesses. This is simply not true. No. <laughs> you just and you get, get the sick weapons. You get the wind orb that just hits as fast as you can hit the button. Yes. Yeah, eventually you just get orbs that are just upgraded versions of the earlier orbs, so if you put any currency into those first orbs, you're just an idiot. You're just a fool. You just <laughs> wasted your money. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the level up system is weird because then also, do you want to level up that much? Because the game's so easy. It's just very strange. Um, I, I think that the the amount of like parts of the game that rely on RPG systems have not been balanced as uh, as like tightly as you would want. But again, like it's the realities of this kind of uh, production. Yeah. And, and like part of, part of, oh go ahead. I was just gonna say that it definitely like it does that because. Uh, that is a way to give progression into a game that isn't building more areas and content, which is so much more expensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing here is like the bosses are cool. I think the patterns that you have to recognize and stop time to avoid are interesting. There's a lot of like most of them have unique fights that are cool because you're fighting someone that's like you sized a lot of the time that has a bunch of cool magic stuff to avoid. Um, I think the bigger bosses are less interesting than all the human shaped bosses. Um, which true I in all of these games. Yeah, <laughs> true in most of them anyway. I think there are exceptions. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a fun system. I wish there was just like a harder mode I didn't have to unlock and just be good at the game and have all the stuff to already with. Yeah. Yep. yep. I do think maybe I should try the new game plus. I wonder if it's that much harder, but I bet it's not. Yeah. There, uh, the new game plus has two modes. It has harder mode and then it has a harder mode where you're locked at level one and you can't level up, uh, which seems like going too far. <laughs> yeah. Cause I still want the game to be the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking of doing the new game plus purely because I never got the fourth ending where you kill your dad instead of killing uh, the, the emperor from hundreds of years ago. But honestly, the way that these things go, like, it's just going to be a different text box over the same montage. Yes. And um, YouTube exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two endings, like, it doesn't even... It lets you get all the endings, but it splits those two out in a way that where you can't redo, like... Because that's, like, where it forks to the final area, so you can only do, do that fork once. Um, so I assume that is a very, very similar situation. Mm-hmm. Also, why I don't know why you would ever decide, ah, I will simply defeat my father so that I am safe, rather than I will defeat this slightly larger man from farther back and therefore save more people from this empire. I just don't know, like, this is like a thing that I think about a lot of like when a game gives you these choices, it's like, what is the justification for this character doing this? And I couldn't, I don't know, like, what that would be. Like, the character as written doesn't really match with some of the ending choices that you're given at all. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a character who is domineering or, like, seeking to control things, so why would they ever 
like assume the throne and try to like change things in that way. That doesn't seem like the character type that this is. Uh, and so like those things just kind of feel weird sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, especially like the emperor is taunting you as like you you, you know you, you're you're my kid. This is all yours, and some way you enjoy the killing, and like they they kind of lean into that a little bit in that final fight. And it's like what? No, no. <laughs> um, like the game's not about the tension of like, oh, I want to save everything, but I'm actually the child of the emperor. What if that is my destiny? The game's never about that, but it is for like the single cutscene where that happens. Uh, yeah, until she gets to the throne room, it's like, damn, my butt fits in that seat, huh? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it is definitely strange. Um, but but yeah. like that's that is a conversation about every game that gives you choices out of nowhere. Like I I can't really pin that just on this game. You know. Also, moral choices about time are just really hard to write because using the logic of all of this, like you can always go further back, right? You could always go. What if we just start again? Again? What if we go all the way back? Um, if the logic <laughs> ideally, like, that's what becoming the time goddess would be, right? But that I don't know that you're allowed to just be that. Yeah, I mean that—that's the thing. Is it gets like because of the the power of rewriting time is so huge, it becomes like an Avengers situation, right? Where it's like <laughs> you have the power to fix, like, change everything in the universe, and mm-hmm. so now it becomes about the imagination of the character and all the writers, and right. it just becomes a very different kind of question that they're raising. Like this, this is kind of like time travel is my favorite thing in the world. Like the, my favorite narrative device is time travel and finding fun ways to do it and like. When you introduce time travel to a story, like, instantly there is no limit to what you can do with it. You have to set those boundaries yourself with the writing because you can just do anything with that. And it can be anything. That story can be anything. And so when there aren't, like, even, like, you use the time spinner every time you teleport between the two worlds and you don't delete yourself from the timeline. Yeah, right, like, and that's fine. Uh, I like exploring the two worlds and everything, mm-hmm. but it, it just, yeah. Especially when originally it sets up the idea of the time spinner is no. Every time you use it, it is a separate parallel fork, but that, it, it, you know, it leans too much into some of the causation things for that to be true in how it works in the actual yes. game. Um, which is, is fine. It's just like, you know, it's just not as, not as tight as you would want from like a classic uh, time travel science fiction story. Yeah, exactly. I think about time travel a lot. Um, <laughs> any final takes? No, I think that's it. I, I think this game's good. I think it's worth playing yep. partially because it's so short. It is just digestible. If you find yourself like, you know, Civ the Night, I think is a fantastic game. One of the best ever made. But if you play, if you come to that as like someone who's new to like indie games or whatever, and it's like, this one's a bit hard. This one's a good one. It's a good starter. One of these. And you can decide what you like out of this and move on to something else later. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, if anyone played this and it's one of their first Metroidvanias, just say, I like this stuff in the Discord, and everyone will go, uh, you want this game next. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll say you should play Hollow Knight, but, you know, maybe maybe <laughs> there's something else that will be better for you. I understand that's not for everyone, um, but it's the best one. It's the best one. So, you know, what are you going to do? Well, you 2020, know. the year that Nora plays Hollow Knight, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. What, what one am I missing that I haven't played yet? I, I can't think of one that I really need to get to that I've been putting off. So Cave story. Uh, we'll get there. 
we're back with questions. If you'd like to send in emails about this game or any game, really, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, we have four emails today. Jackson, would you like to take the first one? Yes, uh, we have this first email uh, from Alex. He first of all congratulates us for Century Podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, very nice. We enjoy being validated always. <laughs> uh, much like the second you see, I don't remember anything that happened in the first Century <laughs> Podcasts now. So <laughs> That's true. Um, I said they played the game, uh, enjoyed it when it first came out, uh, and they ask, how do you think this game stacks up to other Metroidvania-style games? Um, what power combos did you stick to? Did you ever try to change it up? Um, and I think those are the main main questions here. There's a lot, there's a lot of email here. Thank you for the email. I read it all. Um, and they bring up the, like, how does it, like, uh, really deal with imperialism? Um, and that was, like, half of our whole podcast. Though. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> We agree with all of that. Uh, they also played Burn Band because of us. And thank you for picking like the coolest game you've ever played to play so this cool. podcast. So yes. you did it. I was um, mention that. And say, say that they, they said that they're playing along with some Game Club games now if they can, uh, which is cool. Yeah. Oh, you um, can always go back in the archives, play one of those games. Most of the games we covered are really good. Yeah, most of them. Not all of them, but most Some of them. Some of them are Vanquish out now. Don't buy it. It fucking sucks. <laughs> but if, I mean, you know, you can play Bayonetta. Bayonetta's pretty good. Bayonetta's fucking rules uh, so my thing is i every time i got a new orb i tried to use it for at least like you know 10 minutes see how i yeah. felt about it um but this tends to be how i am with any game with a bunch of powers um if i get a new weapon i want to use it for a little while because the whole point of one of these games is to go through all the weapons and try them out uh also i would assume that if i get a weapon i'm getting the weapon in a place of the game that is where that weapon is useful hmm yeah you would think jackson that maybe you should try all the weapons <laughs> We're not doing this. <laughs> I, I'm, ne I'm never going to play Banner 2, am I? I'm never going to play again. I've already played it. I've pl I worry no. that people are. I worry that people are going to think that I actually haven't played Banner 2 when I've you talked basically about it didn't play Banner 2. I only used the guns. I only. I never switched weapons in Banner 2. You didn't play the video game. <laughs> As an impartial judge, I say it counts. Hmm. You not only cheated the game, you cheated yourself. <laughs> it's true. That's that's the actual thing here that I'm mad about. Uh, anyway, back to the question. How does it stack up against other Metroidvania style games? It's fine. It's short. It's easy. I, I feel like yeah. I talked about that. Yeah. Like, no. um, like, if you... Oh, go ahead, Nora. I was going to say, uh, I talked briefly about how this was nice. Like, you mentioned that the game was too easy. I had said earlier that uh, I enjoyed it being easy, and I, I enjoyed... It being this, like, very nice thing to just grab and eat, like an apple, and then be done with. Yeah. Um, another game in this space that I think is a little too hard and obtuse is Bloodstained. And I like that game a lot, but I do think that it is, like, like there's just, like, at two ends of, a, of, a, of an axis for me. A time spinner and bloodstained. Where... Bloodstained is definitely obtuse. I, yes. I don't. I don't think it's like exceptionally hard, but it is. It's, it's too obtuse. Like it <laughs> likes being obscure in ways that are not interesting. It was hard for me in the sense of like after some boss fights, I had some cramps in my hands. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, maybe bigger numbers would have would have helped, but also then I would just be playing the game longer. 
The th- uh, if you like play this game and you're like, I want more Metroidvania gift style games and don't know where to go. I think the two obvious ones I would point people to are Castlevania Portrait of Ruin, which is the second DS game, which this game reminds me a lot of uh, in terms of like going through very different environments, uh, like backtracking, stuff like that. Um, it, that one is relatively easy for Castlevania, which are not like the easiest games in the world generally. So, you know, caveat that it's not going to be like this. And also... Uh, Metroid Fusion, the canonically last Metroid game, (laughs) um, which uh, is a GBA game that we covered on this podcast some time ago at this point, uh, which is exceptional and is very good about like guiding you through the 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 structure of one of these games uh, with too many cutscenes, but they're helpful if you're new to this. And it's also just an incredible game. Uh, I I think like looking at Metroid style games is important here because they make fewer of them that are good and so you really just want to like see if that's your jam also yes metroid is great uh was great i guess Um, (laughs) someday they'll make another one who can say if it'll be good we get some other f's in the chat (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we have another email from zach is cave story a metroidvania uh, I was talking with a friend, and I referred to it as such, but he disagreed. In my mind, the demarcation between the two is whether a game is stage-based or has a big interconnected map that you can move, roam around in. Uh, there isn't a good shorthand name for persistent map, side-scroller, shooter, slash explorer, so I lump it in with Metroidvania, uh, despite it not having all that much backtracking and basically no item or skill progression. Uh, aren't genre classifications exhausting? Um... I feel like I have your answer, and it's that Cave Story is not a Metroidvania. It is a Master Blaster with a town, um, which requires you to understand the demarcation of like NES games and what was interesting and weird about them. But um, Master Blaster was a, a game that is like you side scrolling, and you're also in like a, a buggy, and you can get out of the buggy and explore little dungeon areas. Uh, and the other thing it had that Cave Story takes from directly is your weapons level up, but if you take damage, you lose your weapons, uh, which is what happens in Cave Story. And it's one of the things oh. I find extremely obnoxious about Cave Story is you your weapons are really good until you take damage, and they de-level to their less powerful forms in a way that is very informed by, like, arcade shmup-style ideas of progression. How'd you get them back? You get more experience from killing enemies. Wait, so it's... Oh god! Oh, yeah. I just like saw the way the time would go playing that game as you said that. I, I guess I will not uh, play Cave. The, Story. the weapons in Cave Story are like only have like three levels, and they level really quickly. Like if you t- if you de level them, you can re level them within like a room. It's not difficult. It's just okay. I think it's an obnoxious thing. But Master Blaster has it worse, where you have one weapon that has like. 10 different levels of power and if you get it knocked down to like level three it's just miserable and useless and takes forever to get back up um (laughs) master blaster zero is on the switch it's a very good reimagining of that game if you'd like to try something that's like that like i said it doesn't have a town it doesn't it isn't a story driven um in preparation for this, I, cause I've messed with Cave Story, but I never got super deep into it. I watched most of a Cave Story playthrough. I was like, I'm gonna finally see why I don't like Cave Story. And the answer is I don't like this little era of NES games that it's pulling from. Um, the platforming's fine, but I really hate the weapon system a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I don't think it counts as Metroidvania. I understand why you'd put it there. I think it's pulling from much more classical pre the Vania part of Metroidvania style design. Um, 
But if you like games like it, look at Japanese games inspired by that, like, mid-80s era of, like, secrets-finding exploration games that Metroid's, like, definitely an offshoot of, but I think it's a broader genre than that that is, like, very delineated now. Probably play, like, La Mulana. I feel like that's the game that, like, that's more like a Sullivan's Key-style puzzly thing, but people like that game a lot. Yeah, every time, like, not everyone plays it, but every time it comes up, there's always someone who's like, yeah, that's the best, that's the best one of these ever! misinterpreting what the weapon like level system is in cave story for years is why that until today i thought cave story was a roguelike yeah that makes sense to me (laughs) also i have heard people refer to metroidvanias as map breakers recently Mm, i hate that i don't like that i do not like that you gotta the the thing is i there's because a you like the... explore and you like make shortcuts and like loops into other areas you've explored and come at things from new places and you like master a space, I guess. The thing with Metroidvania is much like roguelike, it's imperfect, but everyone knows what you mean when you say it. It's <laughs> unlike every other version of this that you're trying to fix the definition where no one knows what you're talking about. Yes. The language doesn't have to be super descriptive. What's a MOBA? Nobody knows unless you have understood game history the last 10 years. Oh, a multiplayer online battle arena. Yeah. <laughs> Defensive but ancients. <laughs> What's an ancient? Why are you defending it? What is even happening? Uh, uh, Sang asked me that. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, not here to litigate Metrovania. I think it's a fine term. It's what I use. Um, How do you feel about Egovania? Um, I think that it has to be a game made by Iga to be described as one. Um, and mm. you know, there's, there's like, what, seven, eight of those? And they're all good. Yeah. That, that is a description, in, like, not about a genre. It's about two eras of Castlevania, right? That's like yeah. the difference. The, the, between... I mean, the thing with mm. Egovania now is that you, you're, you're meaning bloodstained also. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it, it, I mean, it's one of these. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but it's like to differentiate, uh, you know, Aria of Sorrow from, uh, uh Rondo of Blood, I guess. I'm trying to think of what are the names. Circle of the Moon. The Circle of the Moon is Nigavania, it's just not made by Iga. Makes this complicated. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I tend not to use Igavania unless I'm just talking about Bloodstained, because it's just that. Mm -hmm. It's one game. (laughs) Yes. Um, I have an email uh, from from Nora. Uh, What? Different Different Nora. Different Nora. (laughs) Oh, Uh, it's a long email. Uh, talks about how how much this uh, this game uh, like impacted them and um, inspired them, and now they are trying to learn how to design games and um, want to make their own Metroidvania. And they ask, "What is the last time you experienced a piece of media that inspired you to create something along the same lines?" Doesn't have to be a game. This happens to me with music a lot. Regards, Nora. I mean, I have a whole I have a whole treatment for how to fix Star Trek in my back pocket at all times. At all so. times, <laughs> I think we actually wrote it out once. Yeah. Um, the thing here that's important is uh, the Nora says like, while many parts just felt like Castlevania clone, I liked that about it. It reminded me that good things don't need to be original; they just need to be good. That's the true. secret of having a criticism podcast for seven years is that nothing is original. <laughs> <laughs> No um, one has had an original thought ever. You can never find where things originated from because they just spring up out of the ether and connect to each other nebulously. And you're like, this person definitely saw this thing. And then you find out they didn't. Or you're like, they couldn't have known about this. And you find out they did. Um, just let your ideas be things you believe in. 
Uh, I definitely... I've done this out of spite, definitely. Like, um, <laughs> well, I uh, have written a lot of tabletop games, some of which were written because I was uh, frustrated with a game or frustrated with its success. Uh, I did write my uh, vampire RPG as sort of a... Uh, not a response, necessarily, but like a reaction to... Um, Vampire the Masquerade, which has, like, a huge history of t- really terrible shit. Like, not just content-wise, but, like, it started an international incident. Oh, yeah, it did. <laughs> like, like, it's been rough. It's been rough. Um, and, like, my... I care a lot about vampires and what they mean and what they can be used for narratively, and so I wrote a game about vampires that was specifically, like, me... Putting that out there as, like, vampires don't have to just be predators. Like, you don't have to use that metaphor forever. You can do a lot with these monsters. And, like, that's one of them. One of them was, like, I didn't really like Breath of the Wild very much, so I wrote a Zelda RPG so that I could participate in the vibe of Legend of Zelda circa 2017. Um, But, yeah, like, a lot of the my game design comes from this kind of feeling and I want to make music. I want to write stories. Like I'm constantly trying to, uh, process the things that I input and make things that like are, are like in, in dialogue with, with the art that I consume. And I don't actually have like the technical skills to do that, but I do have the desire to. So maybe someday I will make a video game or, uh, make music. I'd like to. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess my obvious answer is that every single time I listen to Friend of the Table, I'm like, oh, I gotta go get back to doing some writing. <laughs> um, <laughs> just every fucking time. Uh, you know, like you just you just make things. It's hard, but you just do it. The, yeah. The, the sad answer is very few people are probably going to pay attention to the thing that you make, and I hate. Like, I don't mean that as a negative. I mean, like, just. Just fucking make the thing. No one's gonna care if it's bad. Um, most things are bad. Most things are bad. You should see the things that people do care about. They're fucking terrible. <laughs> so, so, so just don't worry about it. Just make your shit. Uh, <clears throat> is, so is, uh, is the like way I tend to respond to that because it, it can you know it can easily get depressing when people you know you make stuff and it's hard to turn mm-hmm. that into anything resembling like success or stability. Uh, but there's another side to that that is free. But yeah. What like this is like the benevolent nihilism of capitalism. Uh yeah. <laughs> of <Absolutely>. like <laughs> God. I definitely I mean I um God, God. In terms of no one ever having an original idea, the funniest version of this for me is a thing that you won't know because I you know not gonna release it ever, but old screenplay I wrote uh, in school looks so much like me respond like responding to gundam even though i'd never seen gundam in my life very funny very funny <laughs> uh australia gets blown up in the fucking opening like it's ridiculous <laughs> um we have know. one last email yeah we do uh, this one's from Tron. Uh, a couple questions here what is your favorite gameplay mechanic in a video game that involves the manipulation of time Ooh. Uh, mine's Ooh. Prince of Persia. 
It's a pretty easy answer, actually. Yeah, yeah that's. Pretty, I'm trying to think of how good. many how many games have actually played with time travel mechanics. Braid, Blinks, Chrono Trigger. I only played one of those games. Raiding Historia. I only played one of those games. Um, every every emulated game that exists on a console <laughs> these days. Yeah, safe states. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think I think on some level that starts to count, right? I mean, it, like Undertale posits that saving the loading the game normally is time travel. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I feel like there's one that I'm like forgetting. Majora's Mask. Is Oracle Dead of Rising, Ages. Dead Rising. Dead Rising. Time travel yeah. game. That's yours. That's definitely yours. Oh, I haven't loaded up Dead Rising again, but I've been watching. I'm getting the urge. Have you ever fierce. cheated to defeat the end by resetting your clock? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. Well, then there you go. You did it. <laughs> the best possible game that involves time manipulation uh fun fact when i was doing weird time manipulation like uh mr Rossetti getting mad at you stuff um it was for of all things the sims 2 ds game which oh, was great. one of the only ds games we had when we first got our ds uh, when i was a kid <laughs> it's a fucking terrible game i played all of it i finished it you play um, as like one person in a hotel. It's very yeah, weird. I, I played. I played the herbs, which was the same thing. Okay. Okay. You play on DS or on, on whatever. On DS. Yeah. The, yeah, the okay, early yes. DS. There was not a lot of games. <laughs> okay. So you also in the situation too. Yeah. But I was. I was in college when I played it. <laughs> so you did know better. Yes. Um. I just didn't. The, the DS had no games. <laughs> so it's much like the PS3 in this respect. Yeah. Uh, Nora. Uh, since I believe you haven't finished or played a ton of Final Fantasy VII, are you interested in playing the remake? What would you like to see from the game? I'm definitely going to play it. I'm a little bit. I'm. I am more. I'm in mourning. I'm in mourning because I read that the remake of FF7 does not take into account or really care about any extraneous. <laughs> Final Fan the compilation of Final Fantasy VII material, which was uh, some of my favorite like games story stuff as a teenager. I have a lot of affection for uh, Crisis Core and Dirge of Cerberus and Advent Children, and also Dissidia, which I like is in the same corner of my brain. That like very specific late uh, what do we call it? The two thousands? The aughts? The aughts? Aunt Nots. Um that era of like Final Fantasy stuff. Um so knowing that this remake is not going to like touch any of that is like ah S Star Wars is happening again. Like now I'm just going to see a completely different version of this thing that I used to like and I hope it still ends up being interesting. I have heard like I don't I don't. I'm not looking up like the new the new content at all. I'm not like keeping track of what has been revealed. But like, I read like two lines and I was like, "Oh, interesting. Okay, I don't really know how I feel about that." But if a twink shows up in leather, I'll be all right. If, give me another kadage. Give me like a a dollar store discount kadage, and I'll be all right. I just care a lot about kadage. Okay, you're you're the one person. <laughs> I know. He has two swords, but it's one sword. 
Uh, what entry in the Final Fantasy series do you think would benefit the most from being remade? Six. Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> Ain't no getting off this train we're on. <laughs> um, Jackson? Uh, six. Yeah, I mean, you can listen to our sixth episode. You want to talk about a game that has room for improvement. We, we literally pitched the remake in the episode. It's the same game, but you put up story in the back half. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's a, that's a fun twist. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe you give backstory to the like seventeen party members that don't matter. <laughs> but absolutely. So there was a, there was a thread going around. <laughs> it was very funny. It was uh, someone said, um, "Oh, so we're all agreed. Uh, a Final Fantasy VI remake has to look like Octopath Traveler." And thankfully, warming my heart, it was everyone telling him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you make it look bad on purpose? I, I, I'm saying, I'm saying. And there's a bunch of edited screenshots with just the like awful UE4 on uh, Octopath Traveler backgrounds with the Final Fantasy VI sprites like pasted in them like they were those layered oh. Octopath. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. But what if they remade FF6 and they made it look like FF7, like the PS1 version? That'd I, I be mean, amazing. Any video game ever, like if there were a single video game that looked like FF7 did that wasn't ff7 i would play it right now it just isn't <laughs> nothing looks like that that's true um i think six is probably the right answer i don't think i have a better one my other one I mean, would be 13 oh see i was gonna say two uh, a remake of two that would like make the progression normal would be good because the game story is really good yeah i yeah Like you talk about Square Enix Leon's, like the Leon from Final Fantasy II is way cooler than Leon Squallheart from Kingdom Hearts. Well, that's because that's a bad version of Squall. I like from Leon. Hearts. Nah, nope, not here for it. Anyway, <laughs> Nora, uh, should one of us play Code Vein and please pinch us on Code Vein? Uh, I feel like I've done this before, but um, what if uh? So, Code Vein is a Dark Souls-inspired sort of game. You always have an NPC companion with you, unless you, like, turn it off or send them back to base. So it's like you're constantly in co-op mode, which is an interesting twist on it. And you your stats are tied to your class, which is called a Blood Code, I think. Um... If you like proper nouns that have the word blood in them, this is definitely the game for you. Uh, if you equip different blood codes, your stats change around, and so you could equip the berserker or the the mage or whatever, and completely change what your character is. Which means that um, at the end of the game, I couldn't really do much against the final boss, but just because like the weapon I was using didn't hit at the right angle to consistently do any damage, which means that I just radically changed my character and changed them to a ranged caster type uh, with without any like penalty or anything, and I just changed all my stats around by switching an item, and then I finished the game just fine. Um, I really like the like fluidity of uh, what your character can be in a way that, like, the way... Even if you can respec in certain Dark Souls games, it is a very limited thing, and this is just blown wide open. You can always like change what you are, change what abilities you have, and like completely respec to face any new 
like challenge that you're coming across. Like I would definitely in certain bosses I switch to like I'm just going to stand there and hit you with a really big hammer with a jet engine on the back. And that's gonna be my strategy for this fight, because I can't actually like do the the dodge roll and attack between your attacks like style here. It's just not working. Um and on top of that, it's about vampires. I love vampires. I've already talked about vampires. It's great. Uh, the character creator is very fun, uh, as long as you want to make a skinny character, because, you know, video games. Uh, the tone is very fun. I just like this game a lot. It was my favorite game, I think, from 2019. And I don't think very many people talk about it or played it very much. Yeah. I've been thinking about playing it because everyone's playing Dark Souls and I just don't want to do Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, what if I play Code Vein? It's either that or Sekiro. And I think I'd rather try Code Vein just because less people have talked about it. I definitely preferred Code Vein's approach rather than Sekiro's approach where like they kind of went in opposite directions. Where like in Sekiro, you don't have a build. You don't have character customization. Like yeah. that is a character in a way that um, Dark Souls protagonists usually aren't. And in Code Vein, your character is specifically like this sort of blank slate, and it mm-hmm. and it like runs with that really well um, and spins that out more so than usual. And so, yeah, I prefer my that. my thing is I know I'd like Sekiro for all those reasons, like they appeal to me automatically, which is why I'm like, what if I tried this other thing though? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sekiro was the hardest one of these games uh, for me. I, I did not get very far into it. So. Um, Code Vein, 2019. Next, next question. What is the first Metroidvania game that you all played? Uh, Dawn of Sorrow. Who would like to guess mine? Uh, which one did we play for Abnormal Mapping? <laughs> He's going about the wrong lines here. You, I know you can guess mine. Can I, though? You'll know it once I've said it, you'll go, of course. Is there is there some, like, Spongebob version of Castlevania that I'm forgetting? <laughs> um, kind of. It is Shadow Complex. Oh, right. I forget that game exists. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I played that. Because I just had a 360, and, so, and I had an Xbox before, so I just had no exposure to fucking Japanese games. Even though, when I did play them, they were my favorite games, because I played uh, Ninja Gaiden Black and Lost Odyssey and loved them. Yeah. Uh, so, like, yeah, Shadow Complex is my first Metroidvania. Arguably, Arkham Asylum would be my second. My the- first is... Uh, Castlevania Circle of the Moon, which I got with my Game Boy Advance, because there were not a lot of games that came out, and I wanted to play that one, and Mario Kart, and those are what I got. Um, and That's the COD one, right? It's, yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. I start, like, one of the first DS games I got was Dawn of Sorrow, and I have a really strong affection for that one. It's one of my favorite Castlevanias, and I know that like, not a lot of people like that one, and I admit that, like, Aria is probably a better game. And people really didn't like the anime, like, the, like, very basic anime art style of Donald yeah, Sorrow. The anime art style is bad, but you only see it, like, in the character portraits. The rest of the game looks incredible. Yeah. Um, I specifically remember this because, uh, <laughs> I went to the GameStop, and the person behind the counter convinced my mom to let me have Castlevania because uh, you see, 
yes, it has demons in it, but you're killing the demons, so it's actually a very good, uh, good aligned actions, like very like appealing to my mom's very didn't um, didn't tell her that it's vampire tf fiction (laughs) (laughs) only in one ending which is very good i'm glad that there's like a lot of writing around that ending it's it's nice uh i like the the part where whatever that's not important it's not important (laughs) the julius mode ending is very good um also it adds an option to the main menu that just says julius mode yeah julius (laughs) mode's pretty good it's better than richter mode that's for damn sure Fuck our record. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Um, here's a funny question. Do you all think that you'll be as excited about playing video games as you were a few years ago? I assume like now or I will compared be. to a few years ago? What? Yeah, I don't know. The question says we'll be as excited, but as you were a few years ago. So I guess do you think we're gonna be as unexcited about video games <laughs> in twenty twenty four as we are now compared to twenty sixteen? Oh, th- I mean, I feel like I feel like we've been... God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually feel like we're on an upswing right now. We're trying very hard to like get back into video games. I am anyway. I feel like it's working okay. I feel pretty good about video yeah. games. I, mean, I wish I had more time to play them, but that's more of a life situation than it is the video game situation. Yeah, I'm definitely on an upswing. Uh, like, I mean, I only had one game to talk about, but I did play one game for 40 hours this month um, mm-hmm. while doing all the other stuff. Um, yeah. Gaming. Yeah. Um, and that's it for Tron questions. So again, podcast at com. If you would like to send in questions about this game, any other games. Next month, we are playing Disco Elysium. You can get that for the PC. Is it on a console? No. Do you know? Okay. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, started that the other day. Seems pretty good. So I'm excited to talk about it. Um, you know, that'll be at the end of March. Uh, in April, we're playing Kentucky Route Zero, probably. So look forward to that. Um, Halo will probably be sometime. Who can say? Phil! They've started uh, yeah. doing, like, tests on yes. Halo 1. Yes, Um But they were doing tests on Reach for a month, and it still launched kind of busted. So... Yeah. Are they doing that in chronological order? Well, yeah. Because yeah. Reach okay. is out. I mean, everything else is just the order. Reach is the only one that was the first right. back game. Um, also, yes, to answer your question, Phil can say. Phil. Phil! Phil's the one who can say when Halo happens. That's true. Uh, Nora, plug your stuff. Uh, hi. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NeitherNora, and you can find all the stuff that I do at, uh, norablake.online, which, uh, because I am a millennial Gen Z cusp, means I do like 17 different things uh, trying to exist in this world that we all, this society that we all live in. I was going to say, I'm like a like a far end of millennial and I'm also doing 17 things to exist in this world that we live in. <laughs> where, where's the cusp? I, I feel like I'm probably millennial, but I don't know where the cusp is. I, it's, I don't know. My like interpretation of that is partially fueled by being completely like isolated from most culture growing up because i was homeschooled mm-hmm. i'm so, 1993 so i've i've no idea yeah same okay uh, then, yeah. the accepted beginning of gen z according to wikipedia is 1997 so yeah we're old Nora. we're old <laughs> it's fine that's fine it's not fine the zoomer is out here to get you i'm sorry uh, <laughs> it's true i'll i'll show up and be like oh you know you should really play Mega Man 6 and the zoomers will fucking shoot me <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, like, what is a video game? It's actually it's actually your very boutique CRT filter that you use to play Mega Man Six that makes you the enemy of the generation. <laughs> I just use the regular CRT filter that comes with the Mega Man uh, Legacy Collection. Thank you very much. The boutique um, one is on Retroarch. Yeah. Camille was furious at my Final Fantasy VII screenshots. No, it's, it's <laughs> what that game looks like. Everything else I, is wrong. That's why I played it that way. Look, I'm going to use the filter. I'm going to use all of the power of my gaming computer to run a filter over a PS1 game. Yeah. Anyway. Um, was that it for plugs? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, people should oh, listen to your podcast. I should, pro- I should probably plug my podcasts. Yeah. Um, I make podcasts with my fiance Autumn at the Export Audio Podcast Network, um, featuring Export Audio as the main podcast. You can find all that at patreon.com slash exportaudio or exportaud.io if you want to type less. Um, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to pitch export audio anymore, but if you like VoIP life, I guess it's kind of like VoIP life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sometimes. It's a good podcast. I will endorse it. Jackson, plugs. I am at headfulsoff on twitter.com. You can find all the podcasts that we do at abnormalmapping.com. There's a whole bunch of them there, uh, including Raptory Screenings, which is a movie podcast uh, that I feel like our last episode on Black Clansman was really, really good, and you should listen to it. Um, is a podcast that gets probably the least attention, uh, uh, but I, I like it a lot, so I'm, I'm plugging it here. It's a good podcast. I'll endorse it. Yeah, you can also support us on Patreon. Yeah, um, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it's em underscore bang. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the other podcasts we make, go to patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. For $1, you get the Great Gundam Project, which is me and Jackson talking through Gundam. We're currently watching G Gundam and Ghost Shell Standalone Complex. Um, they're pretty good episodes, uh, despite the anime being a little rocky. Um, for $5, you get writing for me and Jackson. For $10, you get VoIP Life, which is a bi-weekly goof-off podcast. The most recent episode, which should be going up the same day as this, we talk about Final Fantasy VII at length, and it's a pretty good talk. So if you'd like more thoughts on Final Fantasy VII, because the world is not saturated enough with Cloud Strife, um, then please check out that episode. Um, thank you everyone who supports us. We wouldn't be able to do it without everyone's support. Please tell your friends word of mouth for this podcast, especially because we cover older games is the only thing that gets it out there, uh, because we're not part of any discourse that's happening basically ever, unfortunately. So, um, tell people, you know, who might be interested, tell, point them at specific old episodes that are like a game they love. We've covered a lot of things. I'm sure there's something out there. Um, and until next time, thanks for listening.